mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello and welcome back to Kinda Cute and if you are new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host and on Kinda Cute we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Now I have told y'all before to buckle up because it's going to be a wild ride, but today guys I think you need to put the roller coaster straps on, the kind that go over the shoulders, maybe have a little lap strap too because it's going to be a doozy today so strap in and before we get into some shit that actually matters I just wanted to give you guys a little updates on my non-eventful life so last weekend I made a foam mirror I don't know if you guys have seen these all over Instagram but they are so fun it's literally just a mirror and then you take like the foam that you use to fill little cracks in your house which Sadly, I'm all too familiar with because my old ass home has lots of little holes and cracks that need to be filled in. So I went, I got two cans of foam. So I have two fresh ones. I got white and I put it all over the outside of my frame and it looks so cute. I actually um, showed it on my YouTube, Bailey Evan, if you want to check that out. I just thought that was funny. If you guys felt like doing it, it's like a super inexpensive little DIY that's easy to do at home. I was a little sad today. Or a lot sad because Harry Styles uh, rescheduled his 2020 dates for 2021. And I was supposed to go to a concert in on June 26th and another one on Halloween of this year. And those got rescheduled to September and Halloween of next year. So it's just a bummer. And I've talked about in previous episodes how this is just the year I'm not meant to see Harry Styles. Because, again, you'll have to go back in the archives for that. I apologize in advance. There's going to be a lot of me talking about archives episodes because a lot of what we're talking about today calls back to those earlier moments. I watched Labor of Love episode three and guys, there is not much to talk about this episode. It was kind of boring comparatively speaking. They did an aptitude test and so Keith who went to Yale and Marcus who went to Harvard, they're like, oh, we've got this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think actually Marcus did end up scoring the highest, but that was kind of funny. And then they had to like go on like a, are you smarter than a fifth grader type of thing against young kids and see who did the best. And obviously the kids whooped their butts. Uh, Angelo, who we talked about last week, he finally got the boot from Christy and as he's leaving in his little confessional at the end, you know how in The Bachelor when they, they're usually crying in the limo? Well, he says, and I quote, she's like a four at best. I hang around with tens and twelves all day, which is just so tone deaf. And can someone explain to me why guys think it's okay that the moment a woman is not into them that he calls her ugly it's just like really is that the smartest level of attack you can go it it makes no sense to me I have some super sad news about the doomsday preppers that we talked about on episode 27 the police finally found two sets of remains on Chad Daybell's property and guys I'm sorry that I'm not giving a lot of backstory on this I feel like you need to go back and listen to episode 27 because this story is just so batshit and all over the place that It would take up 10 minutes if I tried to re-explain it. Um, But yeah, two sets of child remains were found on the property. And allegedly the grandmother has confirmed that one of the remains was JJ. Tylee is the other child. So apparently one remains belonged to JJ. And we, in episode 27, when we talked about this, I said how I thought it was very unlikely that the children were still alive and it seems like this is being confirmed. I'm also kind of like, what the hell? It took them this long to search Chad's property. 
ugh, this whole story is just so disgusting. And on an incredibly lighter note, we have to talk about Banana again. Again, we talked about Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas, his current girlfriend. Well, the latest thing that's come up about the two of these, which makes me think all of this is so much PR because I'm like, why is there just so many uh, paparazzo shots of them together? Why are we hearing so much about Banana? I don't understand it. So (laughs) this... uh, Where did I get this from? Page six. It says, The Knives Out star who's dating Ben Affleck now has a life-size cardboard cutout of herself on the lawn, and she apparently had a little help schlepping it there. And then they say that Vulture reported that Affleck's three kids, who are 14, 11, and 8 years old, pitched in to help Anna carry the life-size cutout of herself. I have so many questions about this that have not been answered. Why does Anna de Armas have a life-size cutout of herself? Why is it in her front yard? Why is she making Ben Affleck's children help her carry it? If anyone can enlighten me on this, I need to know. Like, carrying a cutout, a life-size cutout, is very cumbersome. And it makes me feel like she had this specially made. My other thing is, why is she trying to bring attention to where she lives? It's literally like a sign out in the front yard saying, Ana de Armas lives here because who else would have a cutout of Ana de Armas? <laughs> Guys, I don't know. I, I just, please, again, if anyone has insight or thoughts. And throughout this episode, I'm going to be asking you guys a lot for your thoughts because we're all wading through this. I have so much confusion. I have so many questions, but these are exactly the things I want to talk about on here. And I want to make it clear that when I'm discussing what I'm about to discuss, I know that I have learned biases that are so insidious and deep within in me and I don't want anyone listening to think I'm on some high pedestal and I can do no wrong but I discuss pop culture on this podcast and I think everything that is going on right now is a huge moment in our popular culture and that is not trying to downplay it at all but that is just taking into account that pop culture weaves into everything we do and as much as we want to dismiss it and call it trash culture and not up to par or whatever it's just I think it's really turning a blind eye to not acknowledge the power pop culture has so I like probably every influencer you've seen lately I feel like literally every influencer is like oh my god guys read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo so luckily I was able to read it I know it's sold out a lot of places but you guys already know I love getting stuff from my library so unfortunately I couldn't get the written version of it but I was able to get the audio version and I'm definitely more of a like I like reading words that's how I learn I'm more of a visual person than an audio person so I think eventually I want to own this book and revisit it and see it in text but I it was so eye-opening it was like I finished listening to this and it felt like a veil had been lifted it felt like when you wake up from a long nap and you're kind of like what the hell happened and so many of the things in it weren't new things I had heard but it framed them some of them were a lot of it was new stuff I hadn't thought about in that framework before but she frames it Robin DiAngelo who wrote White Fragility frames it in a way that is really digestible and considering that we as white people are so quick to put up our arms and get defensive when talking about racism in America I think how she wrote it is very smart 
I mean, it, it's brilliant, honestly. I, I just recommend it to everyone, and it's going to kind of influence a lot of what we discussed today because it's so fresh in my mind. Like I said, I just finished listening to it. And one of the overarching themes that she discusses in White Fragility is how we are all racist. And the quicker we can acknowledge that and get past it and get uncomfortable with that, the sooner we can all work towards becoming better. And she talks a lot about this kind of good-bad dichotomy, which I want to touch on again before we get into everything. And it's sort of this idea that I think a lot of us hold, I know I kind of did, that you know, racists are the people who are overtly racist. They're the people using the N-word. They are outwardly rude to people of color. They hold these beliefs deep in their hearts that are nasty and bad. But what I learned from White Fragility is that because of the systems and the culture that we've grown up in, we all have to struggle with those things. It's not just, are you bad? Are you a racist? It's, are you a white person? You've grown up in a system that has supported you and you've been confronted with a lot of racist beliefs, whether you want to believe it or not. Like, I will just pose this question to you. Have you ever thought about moving into a good neighborhood or your parents talking about going to a good school and part of that was synonymous with how many white people were in that neighborhood or that school like just just think about that for a second because I know that's something I think that runs really rampant and most if not all of us have experienced that so now I am going to get into our stories our articles of the day But I just wanted that kind of as the framework of this episode and just some thoughts to think about as we talk about everything. Our first article, Samira Nassar is the first woman of color to run Harper's Bazaar by Matthew Schneier. After several months of speculation, Harper's Bazaar has a new editor-in-chief, Samira Nasser, currently the executive fashion director of Vanity Fair, and she will assume the role in July. She was born in Montreal and is Trinidadian and Lebanese descent, and she is the first person of color to edit the magazine. Now, beyond that just being some happy news and some evidence of change that I think is hopeful, uh... This also plays a role in what we're going to talk about later, because significantly, Nasser leaves Condé Nast, whose portfolio includes not only Vanity Fair and Vogue, but also GQ, The New Yorker, and Bon Appetit. Just as the company is dealing with fallout from the resignation of Bon Appetit editor-in-chief Adam Rappaport amid allegations about the lack of opportunities and pay parity for people of color at the magazine. So again, this is just a framework. That's some happy news before we get into the two main topics we're going to be discussing this week. And that is the firing of Adam Rapp. I'm sorry, the resignation of Adam Rappaport and the firing of a couple, a few Vanderpump Rules cast members. So our first or our second article of today is Vanderpump Rules has fired Stassi and Kristen for racism by Bridget Reed. Now, again, I want to go back to White Fragility really quick. And I was listening to uh, I Don't Get It podcast, and they had on Robin DeAngelo, which I thought was so cool. And it's uh, it's Ashley Iconetti and her sister. Ashley was on The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, and Naz Perez, who is just a badass. She's done so many things, and I'm actually in talks with her to be a guest on this podcast. So I hope she comes on. I think she would just be such a cool, knowledgeable guest to have on here. And so in line with so much of the stuff we talk about. But anyways, getting sidetracked. 
Robin on their podcast talked about this thoughtfulness versus carefulness when it comes to talking about everything we're facing right now. And I thought this was such an important distinction because she says, I don't think it's productive to be, and I'm paraphrasing here, careful with every single thing we say, but we have to be thoughtful about what we say. And that's what I'm going to try to do always on this podcast. I sometimes say things off the cuff, but I do have an underlying, I hope, I try, I'm working on it. I want to be thoughtful with what I say. But I think being careful, it stops us from talking about the shit that really matters. And that's what I don't want to do on here. All right. That being said, back to the article, back to Vanderpump Rules. So if you haven't heard, Stassi Schroeder, Kristen Doty, Matt Boyan, or Max Boyens, and Brett Cap have been fired from Vanderpump Rules. If you're not familiar with the Vanderpump universe, Stassi and Kristen are longtime cast members. They have been on the cast since the show started. And Matt and Brett were new this season and actually in a previous episode of Kind of Cute, I talked about their recent comments. We didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I talked about it and kind of just how they were still on the show. It didn't seem like anything was happening to them. So Bridget writes, one week after it was reported that Vanderpump Rules stars Stassi Schroeder and Kristen Dowdy once called the police on Faith Stowers, a black cast member for a crime she had nothing to do with, they have been fired from the show. And I'm sorry, I don't know how to say Faith's last name, if it's Stowers or Stowers, but she spoke about her Vanderpump experience on a podcast last week during which she described how most of the all-white cast treated her after she slept with star Jax Taylor while he was engaged. They wanted to attack, 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 she said. I was wrong. I was this. I was that. Calling me names. Saying my hair was nappy, which is weird coming out of their mouths. She also recounted a 2018 incident with Dodie and Trouder, who called the police after the Daily Mail ran a story about a black woman allegedly drugging and robbing men she met in Hollywood nightclubs. They called the cops and said it was me, Stower said. Dodie and Schroeder had actually both admitted to the smear publicity publicly in the past on Twitter and on a podcast, respectively. So I want to talk about this a little bit more to give you guys a little bit of background. This storyline with Jax cheating on Britney was covered a few seasons ago on Vanderpump Rules. So Britney and Jax were engaged and it came out that Jax had slept with Faith. Britney finds out about it. She's very mad. I believe it's where the rotten hail Jax came from. I actually know that's where it came from. I heard the podcast that this was covered in because I listened to the Bitch Bible and this was a Bitch Bible episode that happened in 2018 and in another article Madeline Aguilar on the cut wrote that on the Bitch Bible she bragged about the incident. She accused Faith of stealing credit cards and boasted that she and Kristen had tried to match images of women in the Daily Mail article with images of Faith and reported it to the police. We are like, we just solved a fucking crime, Stassi said. We start calling the police. The police don't give a fuck. It's really hard to get in touch with the police unless it's an emergency. Okay, now I listened to this podcast when it came out. And I want to talk about this because I want to highlight that I was guilty of buying into this too. I listened to this podcast. I was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Like... I can't believe like they saw pictures of Faith in this Daily Mail article and like, wow, like good for them. Yeah, they did solve a crime. And looking back on it, the fact that I just so quickly accepted that 
is so problematic. And again, I just want to call out myself here because in law school, I shit on law school. I shit on being a lawyer all the time. And I will honestly tell you guys that the only helpful class, the only thing that I had value from was my clinic. It was called Gator Team Child, and we acted as lawyers, even though we didn't have our official license yet because we hadn't passed the bar. We were still in school. There's kind of a loophole where through a clinic, you were allowed to represent people in court in front of a judge with, you know, your professor's supervision. So in my clinic, it was dependency and delinquency, which means dependency is kids who are in the foster care system. And before I started this clinic, I didn't really understand that kids in the foster care system have to have so many court hearings, it's like status reports. It's, it's a whole thing that I was just so blind to. And then delinquency is obviously children who are in the juvenile delinquency system. And I was so lucky for my professor to be Mishan Rawls, who is now a judge. She is amazing. She is black. And she made it very clear to us that the reason all of the children we dealt with, because I think out of every child I had, I only had one white one and he was in the dependency system and not delinquency. It was because black children were disproportionately put into the juvenile detention system and criminalized. And this is known as, I'm sorry, guys, I know I'm getting, this is like a little academic right now, but I really think this is something important for me to talk about because I saw it firsthand and I still had these biases. So the school to prison pipeline is this concept that kids and predominantly people of color, instead of being allowed to go to school, are criminalized. They are thrown into the juvenile detention system and it basically becomes a pipeline to prison that keeps them down that path and destines them to a life of behind bars literally and I can tell you guys I would visit with my clients and I would go to the juvenile detention center and it feels like a prison there is nothing happy about it it feels like a prison it is incredibly sad I didn't even like spending an hour there I can't imagine having to be there for months so I guess I'm just saying all of that to say that me, someone who is educated, who has literally seen black people unfairly targeted by the criminal system, I heard this podcast episode and I was like, oh yeah, like, yeah, no, I didn't even think anything of it. Like, that's problematic. That's what I mean about us all holding things inside of us that we're not even conscious of. But back to Stassi and Kristen. So Stassi has said some incredibly tone-deaf things on her podcast in the past. She called the Me Too movement a witch hunt against men. And she expressed that she didn't understand that during the Oscars So White year, that was what the hashtag was, hashtag Oscars So White. She didn't understand why African-Americans were making so much of it about them and not the movies. And on top of that, she took a selfie and labeled it Nazi chic. But mind you, all of this stuff happened a while ago. Like I said, the Bitch Bible podcast happened in 2018. I want to say Oscars So White was also 2018. And the Nazi chic one, I want to say it might have been last year, but I think it was 2018 as well. And I want to talk about cancel culture And my thoughts on this, and this is one of the things I really want y'all's feedback on and something I want to learn more about, but I don't know how I feel about Bravo now 
deciding that, oh, we need to fire these people. Because to me, in this climate, that says to me that Bravo is just so scared about covering their butt that they feel like they have to do this. None of this information is new to them. They knew this. They knew about Brett and Max, and they still let that entire season run with them on it. And it was addressed at the reunion, and I do think they gave heartfelt apologies. And that goes on to my my other problem like I said, I, I, we've talked in the past about cancel culture. We talked about it as it relates to Caroline Calloway and not to say, not to connect her to racist acts, but I'm just saying this is something that a lot of people in the public eye have to deal with. My issue with it is how are we supposed to foster a conversation and a national dialogue when people are just getting fired and then it almost seems like Bravo's like, okay, we handled it and that's the end of this. And it's not getting at the root of the problem. It's literally almost just like plucking a little a leaf off a tree and being like, okay, like that's gone. That little bad fruit is gone. And now we can move on and go back to what we were doing. I just, I don't know the answer. I don't know what the right thing is to do here. And I've been talking to my white friends about it. And again, it's almost like this sound chamber where it's all like, we don't know what is the answer. How do you correctly handle this? Is there a correct way to handle this? I I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I could give you more articulate thoughts on it. I just am not sure if I think only firing the people or firing the people who are the face of the company gets at the issue. These people are in the public eye. But I bet, and maybe I'm wrong, this is just a guess, if we went and we looked at the Bravo higher-ups and the people making these decisions, they might have a bigger history of problematic race relations than Stasi does. And yet, they're still remaining comfortably in their seat. So again, I don't know. I do know one thing I'm again is, is doxing, which is, if you haven't heard about it, it's kind of like digging stuff up on people, sending it to their employers in an attempt to get them fired. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now. And I don't think that's the solution. But again, it's just my opinion. I don't know. I wish I knew. I want I, I want to learn about this. And I want it to be a dialogue. And this obviously so relates to Adam Rappaport of Bon Appetit. So I am going to be discussing a BuzzFeed article and a Business Insider article because I feel like they have so far done the most thorough reporting on this. As far as I could tell, The Cut hasn't released an article about this yet as of Wednesday, whatever today is, June 10th. Um, So I'm just going to give you my thoughts from these articles. I'm going to give you some quotes. I'm going to read you some screenshots. And again, hopefully this is just an open discussion we can have. And I think this is so relevant to the kind of shit we talk about on this podcast. So earlier this week, Adam Rappaport stepped down as the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit. You guys know I'm a big fan of Bon Appetit. Any time I can weave it into the conversation of this podcast, I will. I went to one of the BA Best Weekend events last year. It was hosted by Rick Martinez and Alex Delaney at Three's Brewing. When I was there, I also met Christina Che. And if you want to hear more about that, I discussed it in episode 13. If you want to go back in the archives again. So first off, I want to read you the tweets from Sola. I'm a big fan of Sola. She recently has started having more videos in the test kitchen, which those are the YouTube videos that Bon Appetit does. So she put 
the following on her Instagram stories. I am angry and disgusted by the photo of Rappaport and Brownfaced. I have asked for his resignation. This is just a sim- symptom of the systemic oh, I'm sorry, she says systematic racism that runs rampant within the Condé Nast as a whole. I've been at Bon Appetit for 10 months. I'm 35 years old and I have over 15 years of professional experience. I was hired as an assistant editor at $50,000 to assist mostly white editors with significantly less experience than me. I've been pushed in front of video as a display of diversity. In reality, currently only white editors are paid for their video appearances. None of the people of color have been compensated. I demand that not only the resignation of Rappaport, but also to see BIPOC given fair titles, fair salaries, and compensation for video appearances. BIPOC is Black Indigenous People of Color. Let's use this as an opportunity to clean house and make real change. And just to describe the brown face photo to you guys, because since this is a auditory medium, it is a picture of Adam and his wife. Allegedly, this was taken 16 years ago, but it's come to light that this was posted on his wife's Instagram in 2013. And apparently, allegedly, according to the Business Insider article, there was a framed picture of this photo on his desk. It is a, it is him in a, a do-rag, a hat, um, it looks like he maybe has some facial hair drawn on some chains, a Yankees sort of bomber jacket. His wife has her baby hairs kind of glued down like Alexis Demi um, did a lot in Euphoria. And the caption, oh shoot guys, I wish I had it in front of me, but it says something about like my poppy, like hashtag Boricua. It's very clear that they are dressed up as Puerto Ricans, but I will say that Neither one of them appears to have on darkened makeup. Again, I'm just trying to give you a visual, but they are clearly dressed up as Puerto Rican stereotypes. So Sola said that when, and this is from the BuzzFeed article, Sola said when she applied for the assistant food editor position last summer, she didn't expect to make that much. During the application process, she asked for $65,000 a year. When HR said the company only had $50,000 for the position, she took it, even though she's been cooking for most of her life. This was only her second job in media, and the description for the position said that she would just be cross-testing recipes. But soon after she started working at Bon Appetit, she said she was quickly asked to do a lot more than she had signed up for, from tasting dishes to appearing in the test kitchen videos, apparently to help with the brand's diversity problem. They were asking me to stand in the background of photo shoots and video shoots, which made, me, which made me super uncomfortable. I was brought on to do this one job, and I've kind of taken on the role of a senior editor, contributing to all of the verticals in print and video. Last August, she was sent on assignment to Philadelphia for a feature with three black chefs, but because the publication doesn't have a great history of working with black chefs, and that's, that's in quotes, the chefs asked to do work with all black staff, Sola said. There was no one on the food team that was black, so they sent me instead because I'm the darkest one. She said, adding that neither she nor the chefs were given a heads up about the situation. I arrived and I wasn't black, and it was very strange for everyone involved. So, literally the day that Sola posts her Instagram story, Adam Rappaport steps down as editor-in-chief and gives, you know, sort of the generic spiel about how Bon Appetit needs to get to a better place. And I called this happening because the same exact thing happened a few days before with Jen Gotch, who was the COO of 
and I believe founder of Bando, which I love Bando. I have so many Bando products. They make that really cute. Um, they make like cute planners, stuff like that. Um, but she had the same thing where someone was brave enough to post something on their Instagram and it came out and Jen Gotch resigned. And then after this happened with Adam, there were things dug up on Alex Delaney, who I just said that I went to the BA's Best Weekend, that he, the event that he was hosting. And what was dug up on him is that he had a Confederate flag cake that he posted on his Tumblr, which was called My Pantalones. And it's a picture of a clearly homemade cake frosted like a confederate flag and it says my best friend is moving to south carolina tomorrow morning that's hundred of miles away from me to honor her new home my friends and i felt the need to express some southern heritage in cake form such a glorious cake for such a sad occasion i'll miss the shit out of you claire then there was a vine of him saying using the f word and It then switches to an F word. I mean, not fuck, but the derogatory term for gay people. And in the video, he then flashes over to a pile of sticks. Now, I will say that technically in the English language, yes, is a pile of sticks referred to as the F word. Yes, it is. But the way he says it, it just comes across as very hateful. And it's not a good look. And then there is misogynist tweets. Let's let's read a few of these. And again, this isn't me trying to get Alex Delaney fired. This is me just wanting to give you guys the facts, give you what I've found, and let us have a dialogue about it. So it says, uh, I was getting bad vibes from my women gender studies class. I just ordered seven required books for class. Still getting bad vibes. Okay, that one you're like, eh, okay. Eh, typical like frat bro stuff. Not that that's great, but... That's the world we live in. (sighs) Then it says, the only reason you would ever wait a month to have sex with a girl is if she's 17 years and 11 months old. Mm, Not great. The amount of girls in the world that are overwhelmingly boring vanilla ratchet is scary as shit. Again, not great. Thank you, Condé Nast, for hiring the most beautiful women in the world just general misogyny you know and I've seen I don't want to call them out by name but I've seen also some screenshots from people who used to work at Bon Appetit and I thought this one was just it's 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 awful but it's just the way she wrote it is kind of hilarious it says bon appetit's editorial leadership going down in flames tbh i really loved all the people i worked alongside but even from my own personal experience yeah fuck the editorial leadership there they would openly make jokes about asians and i have seen my super talented friends get denied job offers in favor of the most generic basic white boys yes i'm looking at you delaney Rappaport, you should resign. As a note, she posted this before he resigned. And I still fucking remember you saying how cooking is more for men, especially making something like pork som, which you implied is a lot of work. I can make that shit while cooking five other banchans, you racist. Alex Delaney, you are part of the problem. POC have been denied promotions just to see your basic, untalented ass move higher. Take several seats. If y'all knew how many people I used to work with that are texting me and agreeing why the fuck Delaney keeps climbing higher, but I'll just direct you to Alex Lau's tweets. 
Now, Alex Lau is also Asian American and he is, he's, his photography is so gorgeous. I, it's actually his photography that first brought me to Bon Appetit because I, I think I had heard about them in the past, but it's like what really drew me in because I was researching where to go in Philly and I saw some spreads he had done and I just thought it was beautiful. But he also talks about just the, the issues with the editorial leadership there. And, uh, yeah. So moving on, there was also a Business Insider article written by Rachel Premack. And many people of color speak out in this article, such as Priya. And I actually went to college with Priya. Maybe I can get her on the podcast someday. Um, Rick and significantly Adam Rappaport's assistant, Ryan Ryan Walker Hartshorn. Now, I just want you guys to think about this for a moment. And imagine that Ryan... Don't imagine, I mean, imagine it because I want you to like sit with this and let it soak in. But this is all true. Ryan is a Stanford graduate. She is the only woman on the BA staff, black woman, I'm sorry. And she has worked at Bon Appetit for almost three years. Her salary living in New York City is $35,000 with a chance for overtime. So I think we should let that sink in because to me, that is unfathomable. I cannot imagine having those credentials, getting paid that much, working for that many years, never having gotten a raise. She, um, aside from her editorial duties, which in my opinion, as an editorial assistant, not a personal assistant, her duties, I would think, would be more in line with actual magazine stuff. And I get that we all do stuff beyond our jobs. And like, I know that happens, but she cleaned Rappaport's golf clubs. She fetched his son's passport and she taught his wife how to use Google Cal. So recently during all of everything going on with Corona, she once again asked for more money from Adam Rappaport. She says, I thought this conversation might be different this time. After all, Condé Nast, the parent company of Bon Appetit, had just donated $1 million to racial justice organization amid global protests over the May 25th killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And her boss, who had been checking in on her throughout the demonstrations, was aware she had been unable to pay rent for three months. Instead, Ryan says that Rappaport told her, well, maybe you should consider that this is not the right job for you. So again, I don't know where this leaves us. I wish there was some easy band-aid that could fix all of this and make sure that BIPOC are getting paid in an equal way to what white people are getting paid and that they are equally getting positions of power and they're the ones getting a say in things. I don't know. Again, I don't know how we get there. I I don't know if firing people or forcing people to resign is the right way to get there. And I apologize because I can't remember if I talked about this already, but it just makes me fear that these people who are losing their jobs because of prior racist acts, instead of taking it as a moment to learn, it's just going to engender more bitterness towards the people that we want to hopefully lift up. And maybe that's not true, but I could just see that happening and, and see it happening on people who are huge Stassi and Kristen fans are all of them going to say, oh my God, like this, this movement made me lose my favorite people. And I'm not saying that's an, a mature or right view to have, but is it really going to work towards dismantling systemic racism? I just, again, I wish I knew guys. 
So I think you already know what my legit shit for the day is. I would say try to get a copy, try to get an audiobook, get your hands on a version of White Fragility, check it out at your local library if you can, and if not, try to buy it from me, a small, ideally black-owned business, and and let me know your thoughts on it. Like Again, I just feel like it just, again, opened my eyes up to how much I have to learn, and I want, if you happen to be a person of color listening to this podcast... Like, give me your thoughts if you feel up to it. If you're not already so exhausted by all this shit going on, just, I don't know, just let me know. Let's have a, let's have a conversation. And again, on a much lighter note, my other legit shit for today is if you can find them, the Yuzu Matcha Kit Kats, the Japanese Kit Kats, again, I get them from my local market. They are so good, guys. They might be my favorite flavor yet. And I know that's a very like gear switch thing to end on. But again, I, I would love it if you guys follow me at uh, Bailey Evan or at Kind of Cute Podcast. If you want to send me a DM, send me an email, leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast so you can keep chatting and I will see you next week. Bye.